welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Praise God. I hope you enjoyed that video. I find it funny and thoughtful. It will mean different things to different people in the room and different people who are no longer in the room as well. So let's deal with the fear of the donkey this morning. I've, because um, those, those disciples, they love Jesus, they've given up everything to follow him. They were an amazing pair. I mean, we don't know if that's what actually happened, but it must have been quite weird, mustn't it, to be asked that. And if it wasn't that thing, Jesus certainly asked them to do a lot of things that they must have been thinking. What? What? I mean, I can think of one thing in our lives that was a definite what moment for me, and that was when God called us as a family to go down to Roffey to go to Bible college. I was a successful head teacher, being headhunted for other schools. Kate was a PA. And God said, give it all up. Give up those rather nice incomes and go 300, no, it wasn't as much then, 150 miles south, live in a town you don't know, expensive town you don't know, and take your family, your Two sons, out of school, put them in another one. Just do it. <laughs> it was a very crucial moment in time because I'd been a head teacher, I'd been a troubleshooting head for a year, and that was coming to an end. And when I was a student, God had said to me, university student, you're going to be full-time in ministry. I didn't really understand what that meant. I thought that might mean I was going to be a vicar. I wasn't really sure. It's only just after I'd really surrendered to God anyway. I said yes to God. In fact, I actually said, okay, God, but I want to be a head teacher first because my ambition was to go into teaching. I hadn't really been taught at that point that you weren't supposed to bargain with God. <laughs> and maybe you can, I don't know. Anyway, I won't go there today. And um, that had all happened. I was very blessed to, be, to become a head teacher after nine years of teaching. Uh, it's very unusual. I was, uh, and I became a deputy head teacher when I was 29. I was the youngest deputy in, uh, in Leicestershire. And it was all God giving me what I'd asked for. And then one day he said, now there's this. I mean, actually, I'm making him sound less gracious than he was because he still made it a choice. He said, you can still follow that if you wish, and I will still bless you. He didn't say, I'm going to cut myself off from you and you'll never see me again. He said, and I will still bless you, but this is what I have for you. You can choose. And I didn't get a sense of if I made the wrong decision, that's it, God was out of my life. It was very much God's grace. And it was a scary decision, because we had this house, and we were seriously in debt over this house because of the way we'd bought it. 
When we bought it, it had no electricity and no water, virtually no windows, and some, most of the floorboards were missing. So we ended up living in a caravan for seven months, but it was the only house we could afford. Um, but we'd lived in it, and we'd done it up. But doing it up, of course, we'd slowly borrow more and more money from the building society, so we still had this mortgage. It's like, how do you give up jobs and have a mortgage? We tried to sell the house, and the short version is the first six sales fell through. Because my kind of plan was, if we're all right, we'll do that, we'll sell the house, and we'll live off the money we make, because the house sale will get us more than we're in debt by. We'll live off that while we're at college. And then, okay, we probably won't be able to buy another house, but we'll, we'll rent. That's okay. But, you know, all that time we were students, we could never sell that house. <laughs> Nearly sold it many a time. Because that wasn't God's plan. And um, also, if we'd done that, we'd have known, we sorted out how to live and survive by ourselves. We'd done it. We'd sorted it out of our own finances. And God had to teach us, you're to trust me. Have you... The trouble with learning to trust is you have to go into situations where it's scary. Otherwise, you don't ever learn it. Trust is faith, really. Another one that I can think of, and these are very short versions of them, I can assure you, uh, was this place. When God gave us this building, and you looked at the church finances and thought, we don't have an income that would give us a building. But we knew it was God's plan. And we just stepped out and found that actually we could walk on water. But we had to trust. And it was scary trust. Very scary trust. To be honest, it often still is because we still don't have an income that supports this place. We just have to trust God year on year on year. You've got amazing trustees of this charity. Incredible trustees. I don't even know if you know who the trustees are. They're quite secretive in the background, just doing the believing for finances and overseeing all the accountability stuff, you know? Joanne over there, she's one of them. Richard Hartnell's another. And Jonathan Croft, who you may not know, who is the pastor of Kingdom Faith in London. And myself, I suppose. But... That was another scary time of trust. So I'm not saying that this morning means you'll never have to trust again because it's the, actually it's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> the move to Horsham was like a... And then we moved into here and that was a... And still every year there are... Moments. <laughs> That's, that's walking with God. Actually, that's what makes it an adventure. Because we don't really like them. We love hearing about them. Yeah, it's quite fun to tell them. <laughs> but to live through them. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, we have to trust God in everything. In our relationships with one another, we have to trust God. Sometimes me and Kate and Brian and Shona, we all fall out with each other. Did you know that? 
Maybe you, didn't, don't, you don't notice. Maybe you notice by the look on my face. <laughs> we do, because we're, we're human beings. People think, oh, you made friends at Rafi and it's all been skipping through the tulips ever since. No, we're called together. The enemy tries to call us apart. And we've always been determined to see it through. And it's a great story to tell afterwards, but I didn't like living through it. Sorry if I'm embarrassing you too, but... They're real friends. Because real friends, you go through That's right. that together. Yeah. And you come out the other side and shower one another off. <laughs> and actually, you're closer. This is real Christianity. Yeah. Come get the donkey, Jesus said. Oh. Has he, we just got to get it and say the Lord needs it? <laughs> I've been reading this book. Uh, I read it yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> made it sound rather grand. I read it yesterday, and uh, I was re- I thought it was a thick book <laughs> when I ordered it. It was like, oh, that's tidy. And uh, this was just been some things that God has really said, that's now to me. And I, I don't usually do this. I don't usually show you a book and, and, and share things from a book, but I, I'm going to today. The, guy, the author is a guy who I've never, ever heard before, William Willimon. He's not been a recommended author on the, on the formation course. That's probably what you're thinking. You got it because you're a student. It, it just came up in a reference, and I thought that sounded interesting. Uh, it might help. Uh, but it might help us, I think, more than my, my thinking. He's, he's actually a retired bishop of the United Methodist Church in America. He's an American Christian. And he's also a university professor. Uh, And this book's called Fear of the Other. And this is such an important topic for now, for all of us. Because we are, by God's grace, in a real world. We're not hiding away in a little hole somewhere. We really are to be that community set on a hill. That light that shines. We really, really are. And what often stops that happening, what often stops us doing a lot of things, is fear. And fear means, just like you saw in those two disciples in the video, that you're stopped from doing what you would otherwise do. You see, we're overcomers. What do we overcome? Fear. One of the things we overcome is fear. It's not that we never have fear. But when we have a love for Jesus, that perfect love of complete and utter acceptance lets us overcome. Now, I'm going to get, I don't want to get political for a minute, but this thing that um, William wrote at the beginning of the book is slightly political. And it's not to be critical of the president of America, but... He is a very influential man in our world, and he determines a lot of what goes on by the way he acts, people copy. So as we look and see what he does, we know that it influences. And when we understand that, we have to look at how the gospel speaks into that. And he he, um, writes this right in the introduction. Talking about fear of the other. Whereas one president famously reassured the nation that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. 
President Trump, in effect, says that we have to fear everything, particularly when it comes to everyone whom our fears define as the other. What is the other? It's those who are different. See, we have a, a plague, is a good word for it, of loneliness in our nation, and actually it's around the world. Loneliness is where people are not connected with others. And it's, there's, there's much more research and work now that's showing that loneliness causes both mental and physical illness. It's directly related to in what happens next. And if we are a church, if we are a people that have God's answer, we must have the answer to loneliness. And the core reason for loneliness is people are afraid of others. When I was in teaching, um, in the uh, early years, we first began to have to teach children about stranger danger. You may have experienced it yourself at school. And, of course, it's a very noble aim. But I said at the time, this is great teaching in terms of children being wary of what others could do. But it's called stranger danger, and it taught fear of others. It taught people to fear strangers. And actually, it's a misdirection anyway, since most children, if they're in a situation of abuse, it's people they know, not a stranger. So it can actually lower their guard. If a child's lost in a street for some reason, the safest person to ask is an adult. Because most adults are safe and will care for a child. Strangers are not generally dangerous. But to say that now to you almost sounds dangerous because we've been so indoctrinated with fear of strangers. And when we need help, we're reluctant to get help because they are a stranger. Even as adults, it's still there. So, here's something else. He tells a little story. Let me read this to you. In conversation, this is when he was a professor. No, he still is. In conversation with a colleague, um, he was casually recalling to me being a student at the Methodist Millsaps College, wherever that is. He finally had summoned the courage to ask a young woman to go with him on a date to a restaurant in the town. Order anything you want, he told her, as she examined the menu. It all looks so good, it's hard to decide, she added cheerfully. They chatted about school, about this and that, and chatted. When a waitress finally brushed past their booth, he said, Excuse me, no one's taken our order. Take a hint, she snarled, and bustled away towards another table. He sighed and shut the menu, saying, I'm not already all that hungry after all, and they left. Did I mention that my colleague, this is America, is African-American? That's fear of the other. Racism is one of the clearest examples of fear of the other. Fear who of people who are different. Now, whatever your political views on remaining or leaving... I think we could all agree that fear has been used by both sides to try and persuade people to make the decision according to the way they think it should be made. Yeah, yeah. People are afraid of remaining and they're afraid of leaving. Yeah. Fear has been a powerful motivation. The problem with fear and using fear is fear creates hatred. Yeah. 
and hatred creates violence, and violence begets war. So as a church, we have to stand against it. That's why racism is not some politically correct thing that is being taught in schools. It should be dear to our hearts that that's part of this whole fear. It's an abuse of other people. And most of us in this room are English white, so we've probably never suffered it. We might have suffered it in different ways based on class or our accent or from where we're from, but it's probably never been anything even as mild on one level compared to what can happen, I mean. I don't think any of it's mild. Comparatively mild as not being served in a restaurant. I don't know what that's like. Do you? The closest I've got to is somebody really intensely not liking me and making uh, rude comments in a lift in Scotland because I was English. That's the closest. I don't think it was on that scale. He says, listening to this, I thought nothing like that's ever happened to me. He's a white male American. Uh, He says, in my Greek seminary class, (laughs) our first attempt to translate from Greek to English was 1 John. I can still remember reading the verse that sets the agenda for the book. In 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. And I recall my professor saying, in 1 John, the Greek is easy to read, but the message is hard to live. Isn't it amazing that God himself lives in this perfect relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I mean, imagine what heaven's like. It's all perfection. I wrote a few words at the bottom of the page. It's an environment of truth, patience, humility. We know this because this is the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's an environment of life, of love, of peace, of joy, of gentleness. Isn't that beautiful? Heaven, I mean, there's so many more, isn't there? But that's just a, and that's the environment that the Father and the Son and the Holy Come Spirit Amen. were living in and are living in. But living in, when together they decided that one of them would come to earth in human form to connect. Now, if that's not reaching out to the other, I don't know what is, because he went from that environment. Now, those things are always present on the earth. But so is hatred and fear and lying and gossip, pride, anger, war. And in his case, he definitely discovered murder and death. He came from that beautiful place. He reached out. He stepped into the environment of something so completely different. Our world. It still is like that. The Holy Spirit is still sent and comes, just as the church is sent to go and be part of our communities, our neighborhood and the world. Not be hidden under a bucket, but to be a city on a hill, city set on a hill. While we were still weak, this is reading from Romans, while we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone might dare to die for a good person. God shows his love for us, because while we were still sinners, while we were still the other, 
Christ died for us. If we were reconciled to God through the death of his son while we were still enemies, think about that, this is the other, this is enemies. Now that we have been reconciled, how much more certain is it that we will be saved by his life through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom we now have a restored relationship with God? We reach out to the other knowing that we have been completely and utterly and deliberately accepted by the ultimate other. Who he is before we know Jesus is so completely different, and yet we are in his image. But it's an image so marred. But it's an image that in Christ he starts, well, he restores us, and then we learn to live in it. You're all looking like you've got thoughtful thinking listening faces on, just so I'd let you know. (laughs) I've only got a little bit more, actually. Let me skip through a couple of pages here. This is the God that came, though. And And then came Jesus. Challenging and refuting by his words and his deeds just about everything we thought we knew for sure about God as an unsaved person. He was Emmanuel, God with us, but not the God we wanted to meet, because where we, or not the God we expected to meet, maybe, where we expected judgment and exclusion, he enacted mercy and embrace. Where we craved unconditional affirmation of our righteousness and insider status with him, He slammed us with judgment upon our presumption and called us to even higher righteousness. He practiced unconstrained hospitality, inviting to his table people whom nobody thought could be saved, people whom nobody wanted to be saved. Resisting the clutches of the powerful and the proud, he condescended to be touching the untouchable, lifting up the lonely, and in his suffering, loving outreach to us, in his truthful preaching, and in his resourceful, relentless drawing us, in his resourceful, relentlessness, he draws us into himself. Jesus was other than the God that was expected. He's still the same. He still reaches out to touch the untouchable. Directly, but also very much through us. Hmm. The cross of Christ mysteriously, wondrously. We don't really understand the cross, do we? We kind of do, but we don't really. How does it work? Theologians write very thick books about it. But what we do know, what we do know about it, is that it unites us back to God. The cross of Christ mysteriously Don't be afraid of the mystery. Mysteriously, wondrously unites Jews and Gentiles without regard to ethnicity, gender, race, or class. Think about that. Anyone God calls back, male or female or any other designation that they are currently choosing to be, he calls to them. It's a very popular sin to denounce because a lot of people think it's not one they're tempted in. We are all the same before God. 
Let me tell you this. When you got saved, and I know many of you are in the room and perhaps some of you aren't, and that's great. It's great to have you here. You are welcome at this table. When you got saved, did you notice that the following day how perfect you were? <laughs> Everything sorted. Never got angry again. Never felt ashamed again. Never got disappointed again. Never thought, do I look beautiful enough when you looked in the mirror? Whatever, whatever, whatever. The answer will be, no, that wasn't what happened. So that means that Jesus saved you and came into your life when not everything was quite right yet. Well, let me tell you, my first surrender to God was when I, not, I was nine. Okay, and then I lost God in my teenage years. I wasn't well into a church or anything like that. My parents weren't Christians, but I came back to God at uni. But effectively, I've known Jesus for 46 years. And he's still working on me. <laughs> he knows every room. There's no room with a door that's still shut. I mean, it doesn't take away the need to surrender. But he knows everything about me. And he knows everything about you. And he's not giving up on you. He's not giving up on anybody out there either. That's right, that's right. Whatever they're into, that's right. he's not going to give up on them. Amen, right. amen, amen. Whatever race, gender ethnicity or class. He's not given up on the very wealthy people. Sometimes some of us like to exclude them because we're a little bit jealous, really. But he's not given up on those that are the opposite end of the wealth spectrum either. In fact, he does have a particular passion for reaching out to the poor. God is inherently self-giving, connective and communicative. Says he refused to, stay, refused to stay a singular monad. A monad means mono. In other words, it's Trinity. I like this bit as well. God is not simply love. God is love in action. It's good to know that God loved us. He loved us so much he went to the cross. That's our security. But I want you to know he loves you today. And it's a love that's in action today. Yes. He didn't love you. It's like the couple getting married at their wedding. And the husband says, I love you, darling. It's wonderful to marry you. 32 years later, she says, do you, why do you never tell me you love you? He said, I did it on the wedding day. It doesn't work. Yes. Neither would it work if he told her he loved her on that day and then completely lived a selfish life thereafter. Because love is only love in action. It's good, this, isn't it? Yeah, you can see why I thought, I'm going I'm to steal all that for the preaching. <laughs> Here's a little bit more before, and then we will pray for our angels. Dear friends, let us love each other, because love is from God. Oh, this is the Bible. You're spotting that already, aren't you? And everybody who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God. It's tough. Because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. Not be condemned, not be judged, not be feel a bit like a miserable worm, but live. To have the most fruitful, enabled life in God that is absolutely possible because that is his plan upon you. That is his calling for you. You're going to be fruitful. This is love. 
It's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not yet been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, he's a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. We love because God first loved us. What are your views, and this is a question I'm not asking you to give me your answers right now. What are your views on Islam? Because what I see is a lot of Christians trying to use fear to combat Islam. How can that be God's way? There's plenty to be fearful about of some of the extreme uses of some of the creeds. Yeah, I suppose there's something that we could be fearful of. But every Muslim that Jesus died for, every Muslim Jesus came for. And we don't win over to the love of God, Muslims, by proclaiming how fearful their religion is. Because fear leads to hate, and hate leads to violence, and violence leads to war. Let's not use the tactics of the enemy to, convict, to try and defeat those who are different, but let's embrace them. I mean, let's face it, if you're a Muslim, that's your life. You, you hold those beliefs, mostly, dear to you. Why do we think so arrogantly that we can just speak to them or about their faith in certain ways and suddenly they'll receive the love of God. It's who they are. It's their identity. It'd be like trying to drag Christianity out of you. They're not going to be won over by force because often force has been used by the church and by Islam. There's many other things we could say, but one thing we must not do is create fear of the other. Even when there's every reason to be fearful, we will trust in God's perfect love, whatever the situation. Because through fear, we get such terrible atrocities as racism, misogyny. The woman who's afraid of a man because of his domineering attitude, and therefore they live in an abusive relationship. The man who's afraid of the woman so feels he has to be dominating because he's got to be in control. It's fear at the core of it that's not allowing them to connect as God would have them to connect. Fear is the opposite of what love is. If a philosophy or a way of thinking promotes fear, it's not of God, no matter what it pretends to be from whatever area, even if it's the church. But any other philosophy, any other religion, any other way, it can't be God if it promotes fear. But the people who are part of it might sincerely believe it is. And we're not going to get anywhere by not respecting that. It's their, 
How hard is it to give up everything you've been taught is right? But they will be challenged by love. The world will be challenged by love. The world will be convicted by love. The world will be changed by love. Fear of the other creeps up on us so easy. It's integrally mixed in um, into Brexit and Remain. Hmm. It's a little story at the end. I want to read this one to you. It's not very long. It's another one of these things of how fear can keep us from connecting, I guess. At the end of a very busy Thursday afternoon, I was chagrined. It's an unusual word. Is that how you pronounce it? Chagrined. Yeah, but that might be a Glaswegian accent there, Jossie. The best one to have. I was chagrined to be encountered <laughs> on my way. Do you know what it means? It means, what does it mean, Jossie? It's a funny old word. It's kind of rebuked and corrected, isn't it? Embarrassed about it, yeah. It's not about grinning. Chagrined. To be encountered on my way from the church office by a shuffling, forlorn older man. Of course, he was down on his luck, homeless. Could you help me get some food, he asked. Now he thinks to himself, as is the author, food my foot. I'm sure you'll use the $20 that I give you just to get rid of you to buy booze. Or drugs. I gave him a $20 bill. I guess you expect me to thank you, he said on his way down the sidewalk with my money. I told him a thank you would be nice. Well, I ain't, he muttered. Jesus made, me help, made you help me. You'd have never done it on your own. <laughs> Annoyed, I said to Jesus, how does that man know so much about you? To which Jesus replied, how does he know so much about you? Oh! Oh! <laughs> but then actually, so that was my, when I read it, it was like, ouch! We won't go into the giving money away on the streets thing. That's not usually a great plan anyway, really. But find ways to support better. But um, aside from that, it was that whole thing. But suddenly, I wrote, and, he said, and, and Jesus said, well, you only did it. Because you love me. But then I thought, oh, hang on, though. Turn that on its head again. That's why we do everything. That's why we do everything. And it's good. If it was us on our own, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't reach out. We wouldn't care. We wouldn't love. You know, so often you hear so much about this was a wonderful person because they love their family. Everybody loves their family except when they've gone wrong or anything like that. But everybody loves the people that they love. And it's a good and noble thing. But I want to hear more of they were a good person because they loved those who were their enemies. I'm certainly only going to do it because Jesus will do it through me because I know I'm not capable of that. But if there's one group of people on this planet that can combat fear of the other, racism, misogyny, and all those other unpleasant things that go alongside it, it's got to be the church. 
Because we have that love of God inside us casting out fear. And when somebody whispers fear to us, maybe because they are afraid, let's not take it on board for ourselves. Let's not make decisions out of fear because that's definitely not going to be God. Well, I'm going to have to make this decision. I don't think it's what God wants, but I don't have enough money. Well, either find out it is what God wants or don't do it. But don't do it because you don't have the money because that's fear. You need to come to a point of trust. And it could be either way. Sometimes it's just God saying, this is not the way for you, and the fact you don't have the resources for it is how I'm showing you. (laughs) That's true. Or it could be just trust. Trust me. All giving's like that. All living's like that. Trust me. Let's not be afraid of the donkey. Let's not fear the donkey. Hmm. Thoughtful one today. Can I just say, if you're here this morning and you've listened to all of that and it's opened up a door of recognition to fear in your life, then I pray you'll realize that Jesus is already in it in that room. It's not locked away. He's there and he knows and he wants to help you let light flood into the room so that it's not part of your life because it's not his plan for us to live in fear. You can live in fear of being caught out that you're living in fear. Especially as Christians. If they find out I'm afraid, they think I've got no faith and they'll reject me. Well, by the grace of God, let's not be that church. If you've got absolutely zero faith right now, you don't believe God, you don't trust him, and you don't know what's going to happen and you're full of fear, we love you. And we're here to walk with you. And by the grace of God, he will help you to walk out of that. But we want to help you walk out of that. And let us not be a people that judge somebody because they're not in faith. Because what do you do? You keep them in not faith. They need love. They need acceptance. So, well, I need to let them know it's sin. They know. (laughs) Let me assure you, every person that, that suffers from fear, they know this is sin. It makes it a lot worse. It shouldn't do, because that's a misunderstanding of God. Don't fear him. He's not going to judge you either. He just wants you to be free of it. doesn't want you to be afraid of the donkey. (laughs) But if that is you this morning, I'm just going to pray for you right now, if that's all right. Don't normally do this this way, but I want to do it right now. So, uh, you know what we're even going to do? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Because I just feel what's what we're going to need to do. All right, don't let anybody be looking around, because I really want to pray specifically for people who are really struggling in something in this area right now. Uh, Of course, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and of course, fear is the very thing you've got to overcome to do that, but that's why I want you to do it, because it's actually quite powerful to do something against that fear, 
But I do need everyone to have their eyes closed just to give those who are feeling fearful that little extra bit of confidence that the only one that's going to know is me. And my granddaughter said you can trust me, so it's okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. So if you're struggling with fear, can you just raise a hand? And nobody look, please. Even if you want to look for the best possible pastoral reasons. Okay, put your hands down so that you don't feel you're on show. Father, I thank you for the courage in every person that just raised their hand. And I thank you, Father, that that courage that is coming from you right now is the courage that overcomes fear. Father, I thank you that you've given us already the faith that overcomes. But that means we have to overcome things. And fear right now, particularly for that group of people that just raised their hands, is something to overcome. And Father, there'll be breakthrough today, but there'll also be breakthrough as those people that raise their hands walk with others. Can I urge you, if you raise the hand today, if you've never told Christian believers around you that are your friends that this is something for you, then find somebody you can trust that won't go and talk about it and tell them. Because fear thrives in darkness and unknown. Love thrives when it comes into the light. And I'm probably saying some of the hardest words if that's you. But actually today, for you, they're words of freedom. Perfect love, which you have from God, casts out fear. There's somebody here right now, and God's telling me, well, actually, there's more than one, but the person I'm talking about didn't write, raise their hand, but this is for all of you in this group. But for you, because you get fearful and you doubt your acceptance and love from God, you get angry and you get very harsh in the way you talk of the love of God and the truth of God. And God says, I'd like you to stop that now, please, my child. You don't need to do that. You don't need to defend me with anger. Because your anger is not a righteous anger. Your anger is coming from your own fear of people finding out that you don't actually match up to the standards you preach. So let it go. It's okay. You don't need to be angry. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're moving across this room and fear is being exposed. Your light is shining. And from this moment forward, those walls of fear are tumbling down. Some will take longer than others, but they're coming down. Hallelujah. What's the date today? 14th? Make a note in your prayer journal. 14th, walls of fear tumbled down and are tumbling down. 
and I will see the fruit of that. Because I know God loves me and he knows all the dark rooms as well as the light rooms already. And he's not angry about them. He's not angry at you because of them. His love is just even more intense. People say, what about the wrath of God? The wrath of God is against sin, not against people. Hallelujah. Father, may your peace be in this room. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can all the angels just come and stand along the front that we are just commissioning this morning? As you're coming, this is what the angels do. Now, as far as I know, most of the angels have not been guys that have had particular drinking issues on on the streets on Saturday nights. Very few of them. Community angels, a lot of them are becoming community angels. What stops persons becoming community angels? Fear. You brave community angels are going into the homes of strangers. That's a bit scary. Yep. But we will not allow fear to stop us reaching out with the love of God. That's what God's doing in us. Youth angels. Well, I guess the youth angels have probably been teenagers at one point. Some of them might still be. But they're not the teenagers of today. And if you've ever walked into a youth club, it can be scary because you know you're different to them. But love enables us to overcome. Love in this congregation will allow those from different races to walk as brothers and sisters. It will allow men and women to walk as brothers and sisters and equality, as the Bible says. It will allow those of all different backgrounds, different genders, to walk together in acceptance but calling us to ever higher levels of righteousness. Well, the word says we mustn't, uh, we mustn't uh, sleep with another woman. We mustn't lust after him. We must be faithful to our wives. And Jesus says, yes, and I tell you, you must even look at her. Because looking at her in that way, with that look, is lust. He always calls us to another level of righteousness. Just as we think we're doing okay. I'm better than them. God says, stop looking at them and look at me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can we have some of the, 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 the angels out to lay hands on these guys? There's, there's more than this. They're not, not all here today. But uh, this is a wonderful bunch of people who are reaching out despite fear of the other. Amen. Hallelujah. Perhaps some of the church leaders as well. Just come and pray. Lay hands on these guys because I can, I can sense some prophetic words. If anybody else, if you get something from God for one of these guys, make sure you give it to them before you leave. Hallelujah. I know it's one o'clock, but let's just stand and pray for them, shall we? Because this is important. The whole word today really has been addressing what they do as well. That's our whole purpose, that these guys are living the gospel by reaching out to those who are different. And they're doing it with no judgment. 
you're in a ditch, you're in the gutter, and you smell of alcohol. And there was this, uh, I was reading one of the reports, I think it was one of the last week reports, that just said, and when this person came round for unconsciousness, they were regressive to the street angels. But still we will do it. There was no harm. But fear of the other stops the church reaching out with the love of Christ. Fear of the other causes us to run into our little houses and say, oh, all the other beliefs and things, they're very, very dangerous. Yes, they are. But our God is all-powerful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right, come on. Let's just reach out. Pray in tongues. Pray in English. Let's see these guys anointed and commissioned to go to take the gospel into this town. In the practical works of loving and caring for people through the community angels, through the youth angels, through the safe haven, and through street angels, Father. We thank you that they represent us, the church, on the streets. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray blessing on them right now. We, we release anointing on them. And Father, we know that they will be in situations where fear will rise up. But we say, in Jesus' name, that fear will be cast out by the perfect love of God going through them. That perfect love of God will shoot through them from head to toe. And they won't know where that resource come from they won't know where that compassion come from and then they will realize that must have been God I only did it because Jesus was in me yes that's what we're going to do we're only going to do everything because of the love of Christ in us the love of Christ compelling us to reach out in love hallelujah <coughs> and you guys praying for them just put your hands on their head now Make sure everybody's got a hand on it. Uh, yeah, has everybody got somebody? Somebody a head on Tom, a hand on head, Tom's head. I know he's a bit tall. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I want you to release the Spirit of God through them, a fresh anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Whoever's got your hand on the head, release a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit into that person. Hallelujah. You need to do it by having your hand on their heads because we want their minds being the mind of Christ. It's, it's symbolic, but it's also spiritual to put your hand on their head. Hallelujah. That's it. That's good. <coughs> Particularly anointing somebody. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. This is specifically a time where you want to make sure that is what's done. Jared, I pray for you particularly as you take on your new role as a street team leader. I thank you, Father, this is going to be something new, something fresh, as the Holy Spirit works through you and as the love of Christ compels you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And the civic ceremony for these guys and the others that couldn't be here this morning is this Tuesday. You're welcome to go along. If you are an angel, you're particularly welcome. You can wear your angel gear. It always impresses the, met, the, the dignitaries that are there that we turn up in force. It's an important time, the civic ceremony. They're not going to pray for them like we just have. But it's a time when we stand together with the big gangs of our town and say we want to see our town better. We want to see our town different. And together a community can change things. It's not just about Christians standing with Christians. We've got to stand with our town to see things change. We've got to connect with the people we disagree with. Because that's what God did. That's what Jesus did. He left that comfortable position in heaven and came into the most uncomfortable existence. Thanks, everybody. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you for standing up and doing it.
I know some of you will be rushing because we've gone on, but it's been important. And I want to give one other really important uh, notice. Um, we were praying the other weekend particularly, but uh, tomorrow uh, is Jean, Jean's celebration of her life, her funeral. It will be at All Saints Church in Hummonby. Um, tomorrow, as I say, at 12 noon. You are welcome to come and join that celebration and that time of thanksgiving. Uh, it's one of the saddest things you can go to. It's one of the most exciting things you can go to. Uh, but we want to celebrate together. And Robin's been quite clear, and, and the rest of the family, there is no need to wear black. So you can go as you want to go, as you feel appropriate, as you remember Jean. And we will remember her and celebrate what a marvellous example of faith she's been to this house. Now, if there was a woman that reached out to the other... That's who she was. She reached out to people completely different to her, and she never wanted to stop. Even um, towards the end of her life, she was still talking of people, uh, still talking to people about the love of God, and still using uh, the angels' things that she made with the scriptures tucked into them to try and make some form of connection with people. Amazing. So that's going to be a great day. And uh, we just ask for God's peace and his love and his comfort to be on Robin particularly. If you don't know Jean, Robin is Jean's husband. And so we just pray for uh, Robin and we pray for all the family, Jean's other family. Father, we pray that this will be a spiritual event. And where those that don't know you, may they somehow experience your presence and your love in that event that inspires them into a place of coming to know you. Because I know that's what Jean would have wanted. Hallelujah. And we will thank God because we know, as we said before, Jean's now dancing in heaven. What she wanted to do, she is doing. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.